Well, good morning. I want you guys to sing this song. To, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know Snoop Dogg? I want you to sing this lyric at each other. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, what a fun, what a fun opportunity we have. When, uh, when Hume had mentioned maybe getting to come be a part of this, I literally cleared the schedule to come and be with you guys. Not because I'm important, not because I'm busy, but because I think that there is power in being with people who understand the struggle. And when we collectively come together and say, the last two years has been hell. <laughs> like, you've said goodbye to families that you've shepherded for years. And, thank you. Uh, and you've, you've probably, as those people have gone, you've, you've probably watched your budgets dwindle. And you've probably been told we have no room to hire. And you've probably been told you're going to um, be the online pastor too, because that's now important. And you're like, what? And so the thought of getting to come with fellow wounded servants um, just got me and Jeff so excited to get to come and, and to minister and to care for one another, to pray, to, to get to open the word. And so my name's Corey. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, hello. It's really good to be here with you guys. I I'm here joined by my lovely wife, Katie. And uh, we've been married almost 14 years. Her birthday's Thursday, so don't forget that. Um, happy early birthday. And, um, and, and we're here to, to get to just open the Psalms, as, as Jeff kind of set up with us last night. We're going to open the Psalms and share some, share some Psalms that have really brought a breath of fresh air and a sip of cold water through the desert that has been the pandemic. And uh, when I'm not here at Hume, I, um, I live down in Southern California in a town called Rancho Cucamonga. Shout out to the show Workaholics. That's the only reason people know of us. Uh, and so I'm kind of in the Inland Empire, um, right where the 210 and the 15 meet. And up until September, I, I was serving on staff as a pastor. Um, and I, I joined that church uh, darn near five years ago um, after leaving Hume. While I was here at Hume, I, I had the privilege of running Wildwood and Winter Camp. Um, but in any case, I've been serving Jesus in ministry for, for over 16 years now. And as of September, uh, Transition took a complete leap of faith into starting a, a nonprofit that had been on my heart since I was 19 years old. And the nonprofit that my, my wife and I started is one that's geared towards providing a, a program and a platform of care and discipleship towards young ministry leaders. And so to date, we've got to work with 41 individuals, uh, working with 19 right now from across the country, literally getting to go, how is your soul? How are you using what God gave you? And how can we do this in a way that is healthy and sustainable so that 30, 40 years from now, you're still serving the kingdom and you're not burnt out? And it has been the privilege of a lifetime. It's horrifying and scary. Um, it's a nonprofit, so there's not profits involved. Uh, <laughs> Um, but the opportunity to get to work with people and getting to ask questions and getting to pray together and getting to work with people, like it's no secret. This is, this is, what, this is quite literally what they would call preaching to the choir. You're serving your, your, your flock on Sundays. You probably don't get to go to church. Like you're, you're away from your family multiple nights a week in the name of ministry, and after a prolonged period of time, it's exhausting. And then, by the way, let's throw COVID-19 on there, and there's no wonder why this season of time is being called by scholars the great resignation. 56% 50, of ministry workers have either resigned or considering resignation today. 
So that's over half of us here in this room. And I, I realize as I say that, I'm, I'm one of the 56. I quit my job in September. Uh, and so welcome to the dark side. Um, <laughs> but if there's, if there's one thing that, that the last couple of years, working with individuals serving in ministry has taught me, and if there's, if there's one thing that my, my own human ex- experience as a, a minister of the gospel, as a, a fellow kingdom worker alongside of you, has, has kind of revealed to me, it's the thing that I want to go after together this morning, just to kind of continue where Jeff took us last night. And it's this topic of identity. Identity. I'm going to make a bold statement, and I, I don't like to talk in generalizations, but this I have found to be true through my work with Onward. The majority of us do not know who we are apart from what we do. The majority of people alive today, not just in ministry, but the majority of us serving in ministry have no clue who we are apart from what we do. Our identity is very much reflective of what our Instagram bio reads. I am a father and a husband. I work here. Here's my life. I'm only showing you the good stuff. But you and I both know in those quiet moments of defeat, in those quiet moments of despair, in those quiet moments of disappointment, we feel as though we're spiraling because we have no clue who we are. And so this morning, I would love to talk with you about the topic of identity out of Psalm 139. So let me read Psalm 139. We're going to pray, and we're going to continue not only opening God's Word, but with some interactive stuff today. Let's read this together. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, for your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. So living God, we come to you this morning, opening up our souls to you. Would your spirit that scripture so clearly says fills us at the time of our salvation for the purpose of of revealing deeper truths of you to us as we open your word, as we interact with the family of God, as we ponder you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would begin to teach us and reveal to us truths about ourselves that we may know but we may not have yet embraced. And so we love you and we cannot wait to learn from you today. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so each of you has a sheet of paper. Is anyone missing a sheet of paper and a utensil to write with? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Um, we're going to do this one alone. We'll do a separate exercise at the end together, but I want you to write at the top of that paper, who am I with a question mark? Who am I with a question mark? And then what I want you to do is we're going to take about three-ish, maybe five minutes if you guys really seem like you're into it, and I want you to answer that question, who am I? 
Now, this exercise is one that was taught to me, and I've kind of morphed it, so that means it's fair game to steal. Um, I love stealing things. Um, yeah, no, it's true. I do. And so um, feel free as we do this to, to, to not only accept and receive it, but um, maybe this could have a place in your repertoire of teachings also. So answer that question, who am I? Who am I? And I want you to take three to five minutes and begin writing down some thoughts that come to mind in regards to that question. We'll do that now. Jeff kept summoning good music. I don't know if I have that power, but that'd be cool. Maybe. Take about one more minute. All right. About this time last year, some friends and I took a, a pandemic family trip. We, we got our spouses and all of our children, and we went to Palm Springs. And it was really fun. I have a group of friends who are just near and dear to my heart. Many of them work here up at Hume. And so once a year, we go camping just as guys. We call it man trip. 
And I would love to tell you about it, but we have a pretty strong creed that what happens there stays there. So it's a lot of camping and fun and, and excitement. Um, but we, we thought maybe for the first time, let's try something different. Let's do fam trip because it rhymes and our families can come. And so um, all of us got together. We got our families. We got a whole like literal like row of rooms at a hotel in Palm Springs. And it was so fun to see the kids interact, see our spouses interact. Like it's, it's a really beautiful thing as a ministry worker to have good friends. Um, a lot of us don't have good friends. A lot of us don't have people we can be vulnerable with. And it's, it's a value for me. So I love my friends. I pour a lot into those relationships. Fam trip was awesome. And we got into this habit of like all of our wives apparently get sleepy at 9 p.m. And so we'd put the wives to, that sounds weird. We didn't put our wives to bed. Our wives went to bed and then we would put our kids to bed. And then we, by like 10 p.m., would go sit out at these chairs in like a little barbecue area and just hang out and catch up. One night we had gone out there and it was on a golf course and I had these LED golf balls. So we all had like our favorite club of choice and a light up golf ball in hand. And we're walking out to go sit at this barbecue area, um, truthfully to wait till the lights went out on the golf course so we can go, you know, be hooligans. And so we're sitting there around these chairs and we walk up and we notice that like another group of men had taken our spot. And I was like, that's kind of awesome. Like, what are the odds? Maybe we'll fight them. Maybe we'll become friends. Like, I'm not really sure how this works. Like, what's going on here? And so we walk up and, uh, and, and my, my friend Dallas, who works at Hume and I, start, struck up a conversation. We said, who are you guys? Oh, we're all from L.A., uh, we're all very devout Jews, and we're here celebrating our cultural holiday of Sukkot. Do you know what Sukkot is? And I'm like, no. Um, but it's California. You can sue anything. I guess you can sue a jacket. Like, let's sue the coat. I don't know. And so I'm literally like, what's going on here? What's Sukkot? Well, Sukkot is it's straight out of Exodus. It's a festival where the Jewish people celebrate how God sustained them in the desert. And I was like, that's crazy. You're in Palm Springs celebrating how God sustained you in the desert. I'm like, yeah, that's like why we're here. I was like, oh, cool, I'm putting it together. And then they started to go, like, I'm feeling like we're interrupting. Like, I'm feeling like we just intruded on, like, their Thanksgiving, you know? And I was like, well, we are so sorry to interrupt. We were just going to sit here. We don't want to bother you at all. They had, like, music going. They're grilling up all kinds of meat. They had homemade sauces and hummuses. And I'm, part of me was like, this food looks awesome, but let's go golfing. And so I'm like, hey, we'll leave you guys alone. It's okay. And they stopped me. They said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the purpose of this holiday for us. Like this, the purpose of this holiday is to share it with others as we celebrate how God sustained our ancestors. It's better that you're here. And so please sit and join us. And we sat down and like next thing you know, there's just plates of food and drinks and like wine and all these things are just coming out of ice chests. And it was literally almost as if they were waiting for someone to wander up so that they could bestow all of this upon them. And we had the best time. Keep in touch with a lot of those guys still today. But what I realized was, had we just walked by, we would have missed out on this incredibly beautiful experience with these people. Because there was something deeper going on beneath the surface that I wasn't aware of. We almost just walked right past. But, but we allowed our curiosity to, to pause and to cause conversation. And in doing so, everybody won. Here's why I share that illustration with you. When it comes to identity, I believe it works exactly the same way. There is something deeper going on inside of each of us. And if we pause and ponder long enough and make that a part of our daily rhythm and routine with Jesus, to think about who we are in light of who he is. We, we oftentimes think about who we are in light of what we do, 
But that is false thinking that only leads to toxicity and unhealth. We have to think about who we are in light of who God is in order for us to fully begin to grasp and understand the depths of this beautiful identity that we have because of who God is. So let me ask you a question. Uh, What did you write on that paper? Feel free to just call it out. Pastor. Pastor. Daughter. Daughter. Daughter, like you have parents, daughter of God, both. Like it. Introvert, yeah. Yeah, I feel your pain. Thank you for being bold and talking in front of everybody. (laughs) Member of your family. Christ follower. Christ follower. Wife. Wife. You sounded relatively happy when you said that. (laughs) Sometimes people go, wife. I'm like, okay. Is he in here? Let's talk. Uh... Anything else? Lost. Thank you for being here this week. Dad, that's a good one. So there's a book that came out um, in 2015 written by the pastor of Reality San Francisco. It's called The Truest Thing About You. It's a book all about identity, written by Dave Lomas. Great read, easy read. Pick it up on the Kindle if you want to read it this week. But that language of the truest thing about you, to me, helps illustrate this idea that we're going to go through of identity. So everything you guys shared is true, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily the truest thing about you. And so what I want to do is I want to take us through a little bit of a thinking and writing exercise that's going to involve the backside of that paper. And so flip that paper over, and with me, if you will, I want you to draw a circle in the middle. Um, Just keep in mind, we're going to have four of these. It's going to look like a bullseye by the time we're done. So leave enough room for the other circles. But in the middle of that, Draw a circle big enough for you to write these words in, okay? Genesis chapter 1 tells us this about ourselves. Genesis chapter 1 tells us this about ourselves. Um, It says in, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the the middle of every single person, I want you to think of this picture that we're going to draw like a tree that has just been cut down, and you can, from the top down, look at the stump and see all of the rings on that tree. Now, if you were to see a stump here at Hume, there's plenty of them, and you look at those rings... Those rings tell a story about the tree. In the middle of it, you'll see the, the part of the tree that brings all of the health and water and nutrients up to the limbs and the leaves and all that stuff. And each of those rings coming out of that represents a year that the tree was alive. It doesn't just represent a year that the tree was alive. You, you can actually look and see, oh, this was a drought. Oh, there was a wildfire. Oh, this tree got hit by beetles, so on and so forth. Those rings tell us a story about the tree. At the center of all of our stories, every single human on earth, is the fact that we are made in the image of God. That is your first and foremost, most core identity that any human on earth has. You are made in the image of God. I want you to write that word right there in the middle. Image of God. Now, what are the implications of Me looking at myself as though I am made in the image of God. Well, it says it here in Genesis chapter 1. 
It says, let us make mankind in our image. If I'm made in the image of God, that means I am an image bearer of the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. That, that means like the great prophet of our time, Kendrick Lamar had it right when he said, I've got royalty, I've got loyalty inside my DNA. Every single human on earth possesses this innate quality that can only come from someone who is an image bearer. That means the way that we look at each other has to change. That means some of the events of the last couple of years, right? Like if you look at the last couple of years, the response to the pandemic and health and safety, us looking at our fellow human as though they're an image bearer of God has implications in how we treat one another. Us looking at one another uh, like we are image bearers of God has everything to do with a lot of the beginning stages of the conversation around Black Lives Matter. Now, that's like a really political topic. I'm not at all trying to make it political except saying there's a group of people who raised their hands and said, hey, I don't feel like you look at me as though I'm an image bearer. This idea of being an image bearer, it's at the center of every major humanitarian effort in the world today is the fact that we are image bearers of God. If you look at some of the largest adoption agencies, if you look at some of the largest hospitals, if you look at some of the largest care networks, if you look at some of the largest therapeutic networks, they are all run by Christians. Why? Because as Christ followers, we have this beautiful insight into why humans have intrinsic value. And all of it has to do with the fact that we are made in God's image. Now, sitting up here and saying this to you is really not a difficult thing, but me looking in the mirror and accepting that as one of my core identities oftentimes is. Why? Well, because I know myself. Because I know my shortcomings. Because I know my difficulties. Because I know my sin. Because I know oftentimes I place my identity in what I do and not who I am. And when what I do sucks, or when, I do, when what I do is challenged, when what I do is threatened, my identity becomes threatened. That's why we have to begin to attach the most core ways that we look at ourselves as people who are image bearers of God. David says this in Psalms 139, verses 13 and 14. He says, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. This, this means that each of us here in this room, and to go one step further, your families, to go one step further, those that you shepherd and lead, to go one step further, the strangers that you drive by, that you interact with in Target, that you order food from and coffee from, every single human is an image bearer of God. That has weight, that has value, but even more so, that has to change the way that we, as ministry leaders, begin to look at ourselves. First and foremost, you're made in the image of God. Now, there's a second identity that Scripture speaks to, so draw a circle around that, and here's, here's what I want you to write in there. I want you to write the word beloved or beloved. I still am not sure how to pronounce it, so I'll say it both ways. Beloved or beloved. Beloved or beloved. Now, this is, this is one that is deeply important to us, right? Like, like, this is why you're all here. This is why you've chosen the careers that you have. This is why you've sacrificed uh, what, what people would call a livable wage, <laughs> like to be a youth ministry worker, right? This is, why, this is why you sacrifice the most important commodity people have, time, because you believe that God loves his people. You believe that God loves people. Well, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that 
God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The fact that you are made in God's image means that he loves you. The fact that you're made in God's image means that he loves you. The act of God sending his son Jesus to be the propitiation and the atonement for our sins is evidenced by the fact that he loves you. Do you believe that? Like, I think it's so easy to say, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. It is far more difficult to say, for God so loved me that he sent his one and only son. How many of you in here are parents? There's this incredible, you can raise your hand. That's like a proud thing. Show me those hands. Yeah, there you go. You're not sleeping. All your money's gone. That little money we already talked about you having, it's all gone. Like that's, I'm going to wear that with pride, right? Here's the deal. This, this core identity is best exemplified through the way that a parent looks at their newborn child. Like, I, I've always been like a lover. Like, I've always had a big heart for people. I've always had a big heart to serve, a big heart to care. Like, just kind of the way I was raised, nature, nurture, some of what we'll get into in a second of just kind of things that God pre-built me with. But when I held my son for the first time, it was like this primal love came over me. He had done nothing except cause my wife pain and suffering for nine months. Yet here I am holding him at San Joaquin Community Hospital in Bakersfield, just in love, nine months and one day after our wedding day, by the way. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um, But I'm sitting there holding my son going, I've never felt anything like this. The love of the Father is the same. God loves you. Look at what Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us about God's love. And you may be sitting there going, I know these verses, I understand. Please receive this. This is for you today. It says in Ephesians 3.16, 3.16 through verse 20, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being. He's speaking of the soul here. He's speaking of these core identities that we're kind of teasing out right now. He's praying with power that the church in Ephesus would have the ability to understand as one of their core identities, one of the things that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt about themselves, one of the things that they believe so strongly about themselves that it can't be taken away, one of the things that they believe so strongly about themselves that when the senior pastor comes in and says, hey, you're going to be running the online campus now in addition to youth ministry, Like, in addition to you maybe being let go because of budget cuts, in addition to you going through marital issues, in addition to you being single but desperately wanting a companion, Paul prays this over God's people. He says, hey, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Paul writes, hey, I am praying for you. He starts in verse 14. This is the reason I kneel before the Father. He says, I'm praying that you could have the ability to just grasp as one of your core identities and your innermost being how much God loves you. Don't get pulled into the trap of loving telling other people how much God loves them without receiving that love yourself as well. You, my friends, are God's beloved. He loved you so much that he offered up his son as a sacrifice so that he could restore what was lost in the garden. This is the gospel, isn't it? 
Like, this is the good news. When we look at Genesis 1.26, we see God makes mankind in his image, and then he gives them a plan and a purpose. He says, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And to Adam, he says, I want you to name the animals. Now, there's kind of a rabbit trail sermon we can go on here uh, for ministry leaders specifically in that oftentimes we daydream about working in the perfect place, thinking that will bring us fulfillment. But Adam and Eve worked in the perfect place, and yet they sinned. Like, there's not another church that can offer you the perfection you're looking for. There's not another place that can offer you the purpose God has given you. Please don't be, please don't be uh, deceived into thinking that the grass is greener. It's been said many times that the grass is greener where you water it. And so the perfect location is not going to bring you fulfillment. You resting and understanding and knowing your identity in God will. You can weather any storm if you know who you are in light of who God is. You can weather any storm if you forego finding your identity in your doing and begin to rest in the fact that you are one of God's most beloved and treasured beings, it tells us. As we look on in Scripture, we see that, that it wasn't enough for God to, to set up the system that he did in the Old Testament because mankind kept sinning and then they would just atone for it so they can sin all the more, Paul tells us. And in doing so, God brings Jesus, right? We all know this, but I just want to remind your souls today that God brings Jesus 2,000 years ago and that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Romans 10.9 says that whoever would believe in him, confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that God raised them from the dead will be saved. And once you come across that threshold of salvation, Acts 2 reminds us that God fills us with his spirit and that that spirit has a purpose in our lives, to reveal to us deeper truths of God, to convict us of our sin. And then, and then Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore into all nations and make disciples. He says to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. This is the message that we represent as ministry workers. God loves you so much that not only did he save you, but he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's something that we can embrace and begin to live out when we find our identity in the fact that we are first and foremost made in the image of God, and therefore we're worthy of his love. Before you do anything, before your heart ever had one beat, before you ever cried your first cry, before you ever took your first steps, there was a plan in action for you to be in this room today as an expression of God's love that he has for you do you believe that about yourself? Have you fallen into some unhealthy habits to cope with the pain of the last couple of years and, and in doing so forgotten who you are? Don't forget who you are. It is so important for us to know who we are in light of who God is because that's not only where healthy leadership comes from, that's where healthy existence comes from. All right. Preached a little sermon there. Let's continue. I digress. We're going to look at the third one here, and this one's kind of fun. The, the next two we'll go a little quicker through, but here's, here's the third one. The Bible tells us that as a result of us being made in God's image, we are loved by him. As a result of us being loved by God, he has given us all gifts and talents. Gifts and talents. Gifts and talents. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 tell us this. For, we, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We know this. Let's remind our souls today. God doesn't love you any more because you work for him. God doesn't love you any less because you're considering not working for a church. 
God doesn't love you any more because you have a big youth group. God doesn't love you any less because you have a small youth group. God doesn't love you any more because you're on the weekend teaching team at your church. He doesn't love you any less because you're not. God loves you. And as a result of that love that God has for you, he has invited you into this cosmic mission of advancing his kingdom so that light can shine where darkness used to be. And in order for that light to shine, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's handiwork. Greek word poema, meaning masterpiece. We are the masterpiece of God. Of course we're the masterpiece of God. We're made in his image. Sin tarnished that, but once it's been redeemed by the blood of the cross, we once again bear the image of God. We once again can bestow upon ourselves the beautiful robe of righteousness, the fact that you are his beloved. And in doing so, the Bible tells us that God has good works prepared beforehand that you should walk in. Don't mess up the order. God doesn't love you more because you work for him. God loves you so much that he allows you to work for him. And regardless of if you work for a church, a nonprofit, you sell insurance, you slang coffee, it doesn't matter. God has gifts and talents that he's given you to bring to any table you sit at. Any table you sit at. One way that we can find out what these gifts and talents are is by looking at what we're naturally good at. What makes you feel most alive when you're doing it? You have to understand this. We all have some software that God has preloaded us with so that we can carve off into our own corner of the kingdom and begin advancing and building that. It's oftentimes not a stage. It's oftentimes not a pulpit. It's most often a love for God and a love for others. How is that love for God and love for others expressed in your life? Is it the gift of leadership? Is it the gift of communication? Is it the gift of care? Is it the gift of hospitality? Is it a witty sense of humor? Is it an incredible way of cooking food? Is it art? Is it music? What is it? What has God given you to serve the world with? The, the Bible teaches clearly that we're his workmanship, and Paul's writings to the church in Corinthians tells us that there, and, and in Ephesians as well, that there's gifts that God's given his people to do exactly what it is we're talking about, to advance his kingdom. We all have gifts and talents to be used for advancing the kingdom. Here's the last one. I told you these last two go quick. The last circle looks like this. And in this one, you're going to write your body. You could write your body. You could write your physical self. You could write me, whatever. You could write whatever you want. Um, but here's the idea with this fourth and final kind of core identity that each of us bears in light of who God is. You're interacting with mine right now. You can hear my voice. You can see me move my hands. You can hear the inflection in the way I speak. You can see the sweat coming down my face because these lights are crazy hot. I feel like a lizard right now. Like, like you, can, you can hear the thoughts that, that God has put on my mind and in my heart to share with you. You, you can see me when I stand. Like, like Psalm 139 says that God, he sees when you stand, stand, he sees when you sit, he can discern your thoughts from afar. Your body is a part of the identity that God has given you. It's the part that we get to interact with on this side of heaven. This is, this is, this is us getting to interact as the, the family of God, as fellow workers in the ministry. We get to do this. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us in light of our core identities. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us this. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There is incredible emphasis put upon our physical self in Scripture, so much so that Paul wants to remind the church in, Cor in Corinth, in light of the sexual immorality that was taking place there, he wants to remind them, hey, you're using your body for things that God didn't design them for. 
And so you need to honor God with your body. Why? Because it's the place where the Spirit of God dwells. On that, on that Friday that we now call Good Friday, as Jesus was crucified, this crazy thing happened. I'm sure you remember this. In the temple where the veil, the 13 to 15 foot veil, is torn from top to bottom that would have separated the presence of God from the people of God, it's torn in half upon Jesus' crucifixion. Why? Because God's presence now resides within his people. Your body is a vessel for that God. When Jesus is pressed as to what the greatest commandment is, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We do that with our bodies. We do that with our minds. We do that with the physical part of who we are. This is our identity. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to flip the order for you and show you where the average person thinks. And when we're unhealthy, this is what we think, okay? Are you ready? The average person thinks first and foremost that you are your body. And so here's what we do. We dress the part, we get a haircut, we look good, we watch the podcast, we read the latest John Mark Comer book, we want to know what to say, right? I want to know what to say when I stand up in front of people. And in doing so, using my physical self, I gain gifts and talents. My ability to communicate is something I've worked on. It's my craft. It's my career. It's my calling. And so what I do is I work on my craft, I work on my career, I work on my calling, and I work so hard so if to somehow earn this badge that I am loved by God. And in doing so, I can then begin to embrace and accept the fact that I'm made in God's image. But it starts with my body. Look at me. Here's what I'm doing. Do you like what I'm saying? Will you like my picture? Will you share my sermons? Great, that means I'm gifted. That means I'm talented. That means I now have worth in the eyes of the family of God. Awesome, therefore, God must love me. Look, I'm blessed and highly favored, baby. What else can we do? And now maybe I can look in the mirror and go, I'm someone who's made in God's image. There is a fallacy in that way of thinking. It's one that will lead you astray every single time. You have to, we have to, and I have to begin to accept about myself that before I'm any, anything, I am an image bearer of God. And therefore, I am worthy of his love. And therefore, he has given me gifts and talents to advance his kingdom with my own life. And lastly, he has given me this body as a vessel to do so. That's our identity. Now, there's a lot more things we could put in there. But when it comes to what the truest thing about us is, this is what I see play out in Scripture. Here's what I want to do to end our time together. I want to take about 10 minutes, and I want you to get into groups of three or four. And I want you to just simply talk through this. Did you love it? Did you hate it? What stood out? Where do you oftentimes place your own identity? What revelations or what came to light in regards to this language that we kind of introduced today? We'll spend about 10 minutes doing that and I'll wrap us up in prayer and then we can go get some lunch. Cool? So let's do that now.
Do we want to? Do we want a couple more minutes, or are we good? A couple more minutes. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. I started when I was in high school, and so it was just obviously it took a lot of time to get to that place. But like, and all of a sudden when you're doing this, and you're like, I'm just gonna do it, you know? It's like I, I try not to think too same. much about it, you know? I like, did the same. Yeah. 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 And I actually came to a crossroads, probably probably about your age, like where I had a mentor who was walking with me. All right, y'all. Let's let's wrap this morning up, huh? Uh, thank you, thank you so much for your time. I, I fully realize that an exercise like this, in a room like this, can feel 
um, sort of elementary and primary. But I truly think that when we are not healthy, we forget who we are. And if we forget who we are, that's a theological issue of not understanding God's place in our lives. And so a lot of times when we think in theological terms, we think of the big position that God ought to have, and he should. He's the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. But 1 Peter 2.9 says that you're a chosen people and a royal priesthood. Of course you are. You bear his image. Where this exercise meant a lot to me was when I left Hume, I left this place in 2000, late 2016, I think officially ended like the first month of 17. But I left this place in the middle of adopting our youngest child. And I'll share a little bit more about this tomorrow night when I get to share with you guys again. But through the process of adopting our youngest child, a lot of her hurts had lined up with my unchecked hurts. She had a lot of mom issues in her life, some abuse and neglect, things that came in her life that ultimately led her to us. I had those same issues. My mom abandoned me when I was six years old for drugs. My stepmom took over. My stepmom's a wonderful woman, but she had hurts of her own and was verbally and emotionally and physically abusive towards me. And it, it just threw me off. And I just, when I got saved, I did what a lot of unhealthy Christians do, where you go, I'm saved now. None of that matters. Woo! And so I, I, I leave Hume in a state of absolute and utter mental and emotional and spiritual burnout. And I arrive at the doorstep of a church, a, a mega church in Southern California that didn't know Hume, didn't care about what I did here, um, loved me, but didn't necessarily know what my gifts and talents were. And so that identity crisis began to spiral more to where I sat in this state of of despair, of checked outness for two years. I was in a moment of, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I have to offer. It ultimately led me to a point of, I was diagnosed with severe depressive disorder and suicidal thoughts. Like, sir, this is, this is five years ago, serving in ministry. And all of it stemmed from not only the trauma in my life, I don't want to belittle the fact that I went to intense therapy for a number of years to, to deal with some of that stuff that was in my life, but a lot of it stemmed from not knowing who I am. I had placed so much of my identity in being a camp director at Hume Lake, in being a good speaker, in being a creative thinker, and I find myself in a position at a place that didn't know those things about me and quite frankly didn't necessarily care because I was new, and what do they know about me? And in doing so, I completely neglected every single one of these circles that we just talked through. And do you know the worst part of it all? I wasn't allowing myself to be used by God for the purposes for which he put me on earth for. I wasn't able to connect intimately with my family. I wasn't able to connect in, in, intimately with my creator. And it all had to do with the fact that I didn't know I was made in God's image. I didn't know that therefore I was worthy of his love. Enough worth, by the way, that he would send his son Jesus to take care of what was lost in the garden. I didn't believe in the gifts and talents that he had given me. And lastly, I hated myself. I hated who I looked at in the mirror to the point where I wanted to end it. This has to be over. This pain is too deep. I can't do this. I share that to say not only that your identity matters, but 
if you find yourself this week in a similar season of life and ministry, I've been there and I've learned some things in my recovery and I would love to share them with you if any of what I just talked about resonates with you. And in fact, one of the people, there, there were quite a few, but one of the people who helped me the most is Jeff. And so he very much shares that same heart. If, if you find yourself as a ministry leader in a moment of identity crisis, speak up. Let's begin to pray and process that this week so that you can begin to believe who you are in light of who God is. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your unending love and for your grace for your kindness, for your favor. God, we thank you for making us in your image. I'll be the first to admit, I I don't fully understand what that means, but I know that a part of you is imprinted into me. And I know that through your son's blood on the cross, it's been redeemed. And that's evidence that you love me. And I know, God, that when I when I forego that little voice, that inner critic in my life that says, you have nothing good to say, you have nothing good to offer, and I choose to believe that there are gifts and talents that you've given me, I get to participate in your great work of advancing your kingdom. God, thank you for this body that allows me to do such work. Kind of an odd out of left field message this morning, but I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needed to hear it, God, that this would just permeate into the depths of their souls today. As they walk around that beautiful lake, as they look up at these big, beautiful mountains and trees, would they know that, that you love them more than those things? And that you spent more time and care and intention in crafting them than you did even this beautiful and serene setting that we find ourselves in. Maybe the work of repentance and redemption that needs to happen at a week like this where we're probably all believers is, is maybe we need to become believers in ourselves in light of who you are. And we need to begin to remove our identity from what we do and place it in who we are. God, we love you, and we thank you for all these wonderful gifts that you've given us. Help us to have an amazing lunch and even more connection today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.